being in a rock band is a great job. I'm not going to try and pull some sympathy grab whining about how hard it is. It's definitely a hard haul, but I can name you 50 other jobs that are 500 times harder. Still, though, it's not the picnic most want to believe. The audience only gets to see the funnest part of the job when the band is on stage, under the lights, hammering on their instruments at high volume. But when the lights go down and the last hanger-on has left the venue, the band starts the long lug to the next gig. To be frank, we're nothing but a bunch of carnies. Running away and joining the circus was exactly what we did. Still sounds like fun, but nobody tells you about the fine print. And when it comes to singing in a rock band, arguably the most glamorous of posts, nobody tells you about the fine print because most don't know the fine print when it comes to singing. Unless you have sung in a rock band, everyone, and I mean everyone, including veteran road dogs, have no idea what it takes to sing day in and day out in a rock band on the road. There's a discipline that isn't taught. It's learned, and it's learned the hard way. All everyone sees is the applause and the accolades directed the singer's way, and that usually comes with some backhanded reprisal. If a guitarist or a drummer are sick, they can still get up on stage and do the show. But if a singer even gets the sniffles, their performance level automatically drops down to 50%. The amount of anxiety and paranoia involved with singing can drive someone batty. Trying to make sure you eat healthy on the road when surrounded by fast food can be exasperating. Trying to get enough sleep at night in order to rest your voice and have it snap back for the next gig while traveling on noisy buses, rowdy rockers, or in different hotel rooms every night can be insomnia-inducing. Trying to maintain a proper room temperature with testy thermostats can be treacherous on one's throat, too. Trying to be courteous in public while needing to avoid sick people like the plague can be tricky and troublesome. And all this just so you can sing night after night. And when I get made fun of for wearing a scarf when it's almost 20 degrees outside, it's a sure sign that the agitator has no idea about singing. It's why singers are the first to get tagged as a diva. Every time I hear about a singer throwing a hissy fit and it's described back to me by someone who is unsympathetic, I openly nod in agreement, but quietly understand the singer's frustration. I'll also be the first to acknowledge that most of the time, it's the singer that carries the biggest ego in the band. It's why the camaraderie I see between drummers and bass players and guitarists hardly exists between singers. But when a singer is too good to not acknowledge, all defenses are turned off, and it must be expressed. It must be exalted. It must be praised. That's exactly how I feel about Jason McMaster. In the genre of heavy music, Jason conducts masterclasses on each record he releases, from the legendary bands he sung in like Watchtower and Dangerous Toys, to his five-on-the-floor hard rock 10-ton truck outfit Broken Teeth, to his majestic metallic bands like the dazzling Igniter and the wicked Evil United, to his contributions for the raging wild howling sycamore project it is always an audible pleasure listening to jason mcmaster 
pour his heart and soul and vocals on wax. It's a voice that resonates pure metal, pure rock and roll, pure attitude. And it was a year and a half ago that Jason was on the podcast, mainly to talk about this then-burgeoning project led by David Tiso called Howling Sycamore. It was a beautiful, sad, atmospheric metalscape that saw Jason's vocals fit right in wonderfully. Well, Howling Sycamore are back with a second album in such a short time. I say a short time because these albums are ambitious soundscapes, progressive, symphonic, metallic, doomy, and above all else, epic. To churn out another one in less than two years is nothing short of impressive. So it was great to invite Jason back to talk about the sophomore release. This appearance marks Jason's third, and with that, an induction into the Black Coffee Brigade. Jason joins the likes of Damian Abraham, Duff McKagan, Marty Friedman, Wade McNeil, Jim Rhoda, and Brendan Canning. It's always so great to meet up with Jason McMaster and talk shop. Talking about vocals with an ace singer isn't something I get to do all that often. In fact, finding an excuse to talk to other singers was originally one of the reasons I started doing this podcast, just an excuse to talk shop. Check out the new Howling Sycamore album, Seven Pathways to Annihilation, on Prosthetic Records, and the new Evil United album, Serpent, on, on EMP Combat Records. Here we go. Jason McMaster is on the podcast for a third time, and it starts now. The The Danko Jones Podcast is the best around. Nick Flanagan is Danko's co-host. Download for free on SoundCloud and iTunes. Sometimes Damien fucked up. Stops by and hangs out too. You're about to listen to the greatest podcast on the net. It's the official Danko Jones Podcast. Get ready for your host, Danko Jones. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts. Hello. Smell low. <laughs> How are you? God, I miss you, bro. Yeah, it's it's good to hear your voice, man. I uh, I just haven't seen a Danko Jones show in so long. I mean, I this is embarrassing. I can't. Rem- I feel bad. I can't remember the last time I saw you. No, nah, we haven't been to Texas in so long, so that's embarrassing. Right. But- well, that's that's not anybody's. That's not anybody's fault. I just. Well, you know the rest. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? Congrats! You know why? Because this if, talking to you now for a third time on the podcast means that you are the newest member of the Black Coffee Brigade. That's yes, any, yeah. That's any guest that's been on this podcast three times or more. Yes, and you have uh, 
what is it? One set one twenty nine episode one twenty nine in two thousand sixteen, episode one seventy one in twenty eighteen, and right now. Oh, I'm feeling pretty special. <laughs> well, I got to get you a patch. I, I made patches a few years back to all yeah. the all the uh, guests who who make it. So the next time I see you, I got to give you a patch. Suitable for framing or sewing. Yes, <clears throat> I uh, I know where it's going to go. Oh, wicked! So, listen, man, yep. this is awesome to have you back uh, to talk about not just one project, but like two at least. Um, you sent me two CDs recently, and I was surprised to see one of them mainly Howling Sycamore, because it's only been a year and a half since we last talked about it. Yeah, I, that um, has been pretty prolific on uh, David Tiso, the guitarist, the brainchild. He, he just started writing before the first record even came out. And I think he already had Marty Friedman lined up to do a solo, possibly before the, the song was even written. But uh, I guess you call it a ballad. Marty plays the solo on a ballad. And that was the first track that I that I sang on was the ballad. And it was interesting. There was no drums. And... Um, you know, the plan was, of course, to have drums on it. You know, he was thinking immediate. Yeah, of course, it's going to have drums, but there were no drums. And is, it's, is there just a click or something? Maybe. And I think I had a, I think I had a version of it without, you know, so I could just feel it instead of, you know, count it. Right. And um it came out really, really good, surprisingly. And I was in between um, machines. You know, I just call it my machine. I have, uh, of course, these digital recorders that everybody uses that I cut tracks on and email them to the people, you know. And so I was in between. I was using an old machine and then I needed to update the vocal, you know, punch something in or whatever. And I, I'll, I, that's going to, you're going to hear more about that nightmare throughout this conversation is, um, for sure. Um, a lot was going on at the time, but the, uh, yeah, it was interesting. That song, <clears throat> I have to refer to the Oracle to see what song that was. Oh, I, I don't even remember what it was called. You know what that song is called with Marty on it? Uh, I believe it's uh, Second Sight. I think you're right. Um, when the drums did arrive, I was like, oh, that that's very strange because the the feel was off the drama, the drama that it wasn't building right. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. the drums were in the wrong place. It's like the drummer going and cutting drums wherever they wanted to and not where they belong, not to sound bossy or anything, but you know, 
in your writing a song, you don't just, you know, let the drummer play wherever the drummer wants to play. I mean, he has to play the song, you know. And no offense to the guy that played, I don't even know, he's, he's not, it's not Hans Grossman that played on that track. No, it's uh, Fabian Vestad. Correct, and he's excellent. But um, we had to rearrange the, the feel of where the drums were building and where they were, you know, the ebb and flow of the, the drum pattern he was playing. Well, to be fair, I mean, this is a project that isn't born in a room, in a basement, in a garage with all you guys together. This is something that is passed back and forth through the Internet. Am I right? Yeah. And when you say it that way, it just sounds so stale. But you're (laughs) you're you're you're. You're not fucking wrong. You know, that's 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 how uh, I I still I, I this is the first time I'll say it. I still have not met these guys. Oh, so, that was that was one of my questions, because, yeah, the last time we talked, that was that yeah. made more sense because it was, you know, a new yeah. project. That's amazing. Well, uh, yeah, I still don't know barely what these guys look like. You know? Oh my god! And I, I think I've talked to. I mean, I was talking to uh, David. Uh, damn, like once a week when we were, you know, putting the new record together. And as soon as I was, soon it was. Uh, he signed off on it, uh, and I, I was done. Uh, I'm very uh, specific about my vocals for this project will chip for anything. And, um, if it doesn't feel right, I'm, I'm going to cry about it. And so once, once we agreed that it was kind of done, uh, God, I, I haven't talked to David since. So that was months before the record even came out. So it's just been text messages and emails talking about all of this kind of thing. But I did make sure that he sent you a package. Yeah, I got it. I got it with his yeah. letter. And yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. He, he's a real, of course, he's a real, real gentle human being. And I would like for you guys to meet one day. He's Wouldn't that be hilarious it, if I meet him before you do? Yeah. Where is yeah, he based out of? That would not shock me. He lives in San Francisco. Oh, Oh, really? We're going to be in San Francisco in February. I'm going to email and tell him to go to your get in your face. I'm going to meet him before you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that is awesome. You guys need to take some kind of like silly selfie and yeah. send it to me and be like, ha ha. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, when we first talked about Howling Sycamore, you and I, I mean, you had mentioned to me the same kind of sentiment. Like, I don't really know this guy. I've never met him. He sent me the music and I, I did what I did. And lo and behold, we have this like this wonderful uh, piece on our hands. But uh, how are you guys now? Even though you've, you've not met, how is your relationship? Is it is it a little deeper? Do you know him a little better? You know, a little or bit. Is it, or is it still just like, I, again, I, the guy sent me the music and I just sang, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, it is exactly like you just said. He's just sending me music and, I, you know, thank God he's sending me music because 
now we have this sort of uh, dream team thing happening, you know? And um, the music is emotional. And um, I don't know how to describe it. I don't either. I don't either. I, 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 the, my, one of the best conversations I feel like I've had with him is, you know, we're just chatting and he says, you know, Jason, I'm not going to try to do his Italian accent, but he goes, you know, Jason, this is some really weird music. And I was like, uh, yeah, you wrote it. It's, (laughs) weird and you don't even know why it's weird and that's the wonderful thing about it is that we are like conduits for this like space metal you know this this strange uh sort of hippie rock you know and you have to look at it the way i mean did Pink Floyd set out to be weird? Did they set out to be progressive? Did they set out to be um, away from the norm? Did they, you know, did Voivod do the same thing? Did Watchtower do the same thing? And you're like, um, you know, did shit, did Merciful Fate decide to be what they are? Or did it just all of a sudden, they just started writing these songs and were having fun writing them and they were emotionally connected to what was happening and that be the reason to be and that's all you need i i I think this whole like i don't know how to describe it or what to classify kind of tagline when it comes to bands these days it gets passed around a lot you know people you always hear i don't even know how they sound so unique but i'm telling everyone listening when i say it's it's got elements of a lot of different genres. It's got black elements, death metal elements, like symphonic progressive elements. But when they're all strewn together like they are in Howling Sycamore, it, it, it gets it gets odd. But then what your vocals, I think that is that's the wild card of the project. I mean, if you take your your vocals out and you put someone else's vocals in. Um, someone who's more, I think, akin to that kind of scene, uh, it would just be another band. But your vocals on this project, for me, maybe because I'm biased, I'm a, I'm a vocalist myself, I know your history in other bands and other projects, but for me, I'm concentrated on your vocals for the whole time I'm listening to Howling Sycamore. And the whole time I was listening to this album, it is it's nothing short of spectacular. Like Jason, I swear to God, this is some new ground as a vocalist you're walking on. And, and I was surprised also to find out, to read that David wrote all the lyrics. So how is, what is the back and forth process when it comes to basically singing lyrics, melodies, everything between the two of you? There's a uh, not to sound like I'm correcting you because you're not you're not wrong, but uh, David's wife Karen Crisis, she wrote Sorcerer, and she may have helped out on a few other things, but she writes incredible lyrics. But yeah, David, um, 
it, you know, I don't really know where he's coming from until I read what he's put to paper, so to speak. And then when I read through it, dude, it's not even before I've already cut the vocal. Uh, and I feel like we've talked about this maybe the last yeah. time we spoke about the first record. I feel like maybe I I self-consciously don't worry about it. And I go, okay, here's song number one. Because again, mm. no titles. Right, yeah. No titles. Song one, song two. So song one would have been Second Sight. No, no title, of course, but that would have been song one. And then uh, two, three, four, five, and I, I actually called David out. I was like, dude, you have to send me some titles for these so I can try to connect a little bit um, so I have something to call. You know, yeah. this song, one, two, three, yeah. it's, that's sterile. It's, I, I want to I wanna dive into this as much as I can. And, I, you know, I don't know if it helps or not, but um, back to what I was saying, yeah, I'm I'm reading through the lyric pretty much to update what I might have changed in the lyric after I found out that some of his lines don't fit what I want to do uh, as per song part, you know? Um, sometimes I'll have to add a couple of lyrics, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. a couple of words. Sometimes I'll have to subtract. And so that that would be honestly the first time that I'm reading through the entire song or each song is for only that uh, reason. Other than that, as I've said in the past, I am pressing, I mean, the red light is on and I've got a microphone in my hand. The first time I am putting those words into my mind and maybe that is giving it some sort of uh, levitation. Maybe that's doing something to the music. I don't know. It's, it's, I, I sound like I'm being ridiculous. But it very well could be the magic, you know, that I'm not going, oh, this song is about this thing, so this is what I'm going to sound like on this song. You know, nothing is premeditated because... I feel like the song, prior to any vocal track, as the intro is going by, as the next section lifts in, et cetera, et cetera, that is influencing the tone and the power, how much air, what shape, what sort of, what needs to be accented here. If there's a drum pattern, I really try to find uh, where the drums are stabbing or doing some sort of violent, you know, uh, you know, sort of Morse code. And I try to find words that land in those places to create some sort of hook, which is not easy to do when you're singing over some sort of jazzy thing. Yeah. So you're saying from the time that you get the re recording and the lyrics to the time that you actually record is very minimal, right? There's not oh, enough. Yeah. There's not. A, so w what are we talking about? Are we talking the day of or like the weekend of or like hours, an hour later? 
I mean, is it that fresh? Um, it's that fresh. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of all of it, and and sometimes I'm printing them out. Sometimes I've scanned them a little bit, but honestly, I am not. This sounds crappy, but I'm not paying attention. No, I understand to, what you mean. Yeah, to yeah. the to the lyrics, or you're going by feel. Yeah, yeah, but it could be as you said. I'm I'm gonna go with the weekend of. Right. <laughs> if he sends me lyrics on Monday, you know I've got to make time for my voice to heal up, or you know yeah. a few days later. Usually, I was I'm able to you know, and I won't finish a song sometimes in one sitting. Sometimes I'll do two or three. So it's very random. There's no there was no schedule. I mean, these are, you know, it's hard to, to talk about music sometimes when you want, you want people to really just hear it. Um, yeah. But it it really is listening to it. It's it's not. It doesn't sound easy to sing, for a, for for a variety of reasons. Like the, the arrangement is so crazy. Your voice is going in and out. Um, you know, keeping up with this wild music, you know, um, mm. and the melodies are, are, are fleeting. Sometimes you, you go from this melody to that melody. Yeah, I get, I get, I can understand how that could happen. Do you think I'm losing you? No, I mean, see, it's hard for me to say, cause I'm, I'm, I'm locked on your vocals and I'm just like, wow, how, how I could, and I put myself in your position. And I go, could I do this? And especially See, that's the, that's the, what a that's what a fan is. I feel like that's what a fan is supposed to do if they're if they hear something that jars their their curiosity and and draws them in. I feel like that's what it's supposed to do. And I know you agree with me. And I'm not trying to start an argument, or I'm just throwing gas on your fire. Um, when I'm when I love music, I'm locked onto the whole thing, and of course, once again, bias. I'm locked into the vocal. Yeah. But um, yeah, I like your description, but and I'm not getting defensive when I say, "Am I losing you?" Because trust me, the melodies that I am trying to write, because I really am trying to write hooks over this. Uh, sort of like uh, madman's painting. Yeah, know, yeah, like that. Ladder. Yeah. yeah, it is and really like that. I'm trying to draw. Uh, I'm trying to put breadcrumbs. <laughs> I'm. You know what I mean. I'm putting needles in the haystack for you to find, and and I and I'm trying to make it easy for you and not not hard. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think it. It's. It's like terribly difficult to listen to. But as a singer, putting myself in your position, I automatically go like, could I do this? Like if, if I was, you know, placed in that task and I think you do a wonderful job and your voice is perfect, perfectly married to this kind of music, something I would never have thought of had I heard the music first. And, and someone said, well, Jason McMaster is going to do it. I would have said, yeah, of course he can do it. But like any rock singer, and I know you from Broken Teeth and Dangerous Toys especially, um, wow, like you can really do it. But then, you know, you've got this Halford 
tone. You've got this Dio tone in you. You've got all kinds of tones that you mesh all together. And uh, I, I, I think it's great, man. And I think I said it last time I talked to you, the Howling Sycamore Project, I have to call it a project because you guys have never even met, um, is, is something I think every metalhead should listen to. You know, if, if they're really into this apocalyptic, atmospheric collage of noise and riffs. Yeah, I I agree. I think that um, going back to something you said a second ago, uh, my voice is married to this thing, this style. There's this thing that's happening and my voice fits it. I have to give credit to Watchtower. You know, yeah, those yeah. guys were writing all of this crazy, you know, all of the instruments falling down the stairs in time type of music in, you know, as early as 1982 and 83. And we were kids and just out of high school and we were writing this crazy almost, you know, some people would have just called it noise. Some people would have called it, man, that's kind of like punk rock because of the freedom that we were creating for ourselves. But at the same time, those guys showing me how to basically how to count and how to feel where all of this zigzag is going and where mm. I'm supposed to put words. And they're not telling me what notes to hit. So that was my contribution. And so I had a lot, I've had uh, decades of, of practice, you could yeah. say, for Howling Sycamore because um, the thing is about the difference between something as, uh, as wild as the Watchtower material uh, and the Howling Sycamore stuff is the Howling Sycamore stuff is quite, it, it's more brooding and, like you said, atmospheric. And that lends for me to do like, um, a little bit more of what Halford or even Getty Lee or, mm. or, you know, I can land somewhere and put a melody over. I mean, David does. He lands on one note for at least long enough for me to say, I gotcha. Right. And I can and I can put something uh, melodic there. I don't want to say pretty or or gothic or uh, but those those things definitely come to mind when I'm writing a melody is because I want to I want someone to be soothed for just a moment be, because the storm is just over it's in the next step as soon as you go forward you're in a hurricane again so it's like uh trying to cage a lion or something trying to cage a tiger for just even a moment, because you know the lion eventually is going to take you out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, especially you giving, you know, the behind the scenes look of the project, like, this is how it really is. Like, we never met, and he gives right. me this music with no drums. <laughs> and so, right. knowing that, I think is very impressive. I think the listener, should know this before they even listen to it to 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 even yeah. have more impact on just how wild this project really is just to interrupt you for a moment can you imagine like hans grossman getting 
like programmed, maybe programmed click tracks because I don't even know, dude, what he is tracking to. Is it just, you know, like, uh, <laughs> this is kind of silly sounding, but, you know, David's just so, okay, dude, here's the intro. And okay, dude, here's, no, it's like, you know, he's recorded these tracks. Surely there's some sort of, of programmed click track that changes time as he goes into the next section, right? And Hanez is just listening to these riffs, not knowing, oh, oh, here's the, oh, okay. And he's probably having to take notes like a, like a scientist, you know, sort of, uh, out in the field. And, uh, I can't imagine, you know, you have to think of it like we're, you and I are both singers and we're talking about the, how the lyrics are going to fit and the melodies and, oh my God, that's a weird time change. And what am I going to do? You know, stop, rewind try it again till you get the feel blah 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 it's the same thing for the drummer oh i can imagine i mean it's the same thing for the drummer i mean am i blasting here am i playing halftime what am i am i galloping here what am i doing to this and he's got to take what da he's influenced by david's guitar tracks exactly the way that i am now fortunately 90 percent of the material did have drums on it before i cut Okay. My vocal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but even still, so it was the one song. It was it was second sight that didn't have drums when I cut it. You know. So. Well, even ten percent of a recording with no drums for a vocalist is is too much. <laughs> I yep. could never do that. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. Now I could see that Bruce Lamont returns as well to the project for his usual single cut. Um, you've never met Bruce either, right? No, no, you're saying these names and the only time I've ever seen them is in um, magazine articles or the back of a record that I sang on. <laughs> so, I don't know who these dudes are. Uh, it's an odd I'm feeling. Not... It's really a weird feeling knowing you're you're in a band that's never met. Well, they've never met me either. I mean, I, yeah. I would hope that they were they're getting a kick out of it the way we are and yeah. not like, you know, oh, I don't even want to meet that guy, you know, to have any. So I don't know. I, I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth, but no, I think it's everybody. it's fucking weird. Yeah. And then um, Marty Friedman. I was surprised to see Marty, although it makes sense. It's a prosthetic project. He's on prosthetic. Right. And Marty is also a member of the Black Coffee Brigade. So Howling Sycamore is Yay. is a Black Coffee Brigade band. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, it's a flight worthy banner. <laughs> you you got to tell David and Prosthetic that. I mean, I think that will sell some 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 copies. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so obviously, you've never met Marty. Has David met Marty? I, I have met Marty. Oh, but under this Howling Sycamore project? No, 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 no. If I may have a moment to tell you a funny story. <laughs> In 1986, Watchtower, we through Ron Quintana, who named Metallica. Everybody knows who Ron Quintana is. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a fan of Watchtower, Ron, and... Um, he helped me book some a couple of shows in the Bay Area. We played uh, Mabuhe Gardens, and we played the On Broadway. The On Broadway show was sponsored by Paul Bailoff, rest in peace, singer for the wonderful 
Bonded by Blood album, his band Exodus. Now, um, at the time I was talking to Mike Varney. Do you know who Mike Varney is? Yeah, Shrapnel. Okay, 1986. I'm talking to Mike Varney. He's probably trying to milk me for information on Billy White, who was the guitar player, founding member of Watchtower, who was leaving the band. These San Francisco dates were the last Watchtower shows for Billy White. And we knew this. So that's where I'm in touch with Varney trying to find a new guitarist for Watchtower. And he's mentioning Marty. And this was 86, pre-Megadeth, etc. This long time ago, man. And this would have been October, <clears throat> early October of 1986. And so I'm at Mabuhe Gardens, and I find out from Mike Varney that he is there in the house, so to speak. And uh, I'm like, all right, all right, I, I'm, I'm about, I got to go on, I got to do my gig. So I go on. And I'm still sweating from the gig, and I'm running around looking for Marty, like you know, like a little kid. What'd you think? What'd you think? Because I was a big Marty fan already. I had his old band, uh, that band Hawaii. I had a couple of their records. Hawaii. And so I already knew who, Hawaii. You don't know about Hawaii? No, I just know Cacophony. Oh, dude, no, no, Cacophony's like new compared to. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Dude, you forget. I'm old. I'm old. Anyway, so. So, so I'm a big fan of Marty's because of uh, Hawaii. And they were like this thrashy, you know, really high, um, you know, helium type singer, which is, hey, you, you, know, you know me, I'm all about that. Yeah. And um, anyway, so it's after the show and it's, you know, October, early October, 86. I'm running around. I'm going to meet Marty Friedman and see if he wants to be in my band. And, da, 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 da. and I can't find him anywhere. And about 45 minutes go by, and I run up to Rick and Doug, bass player, uh, drummer for Watchtower, and I'm like, damn, I can't find him anywhere. And they go, he just walked away. He was over here trying to headhunt us. So Marty huh. was trying to get Rick and Doug to be in a band with him. Huh. Not the other way around. So oh, you mean when they said headhunt us, not the band, but those two guys. Right. Marty was trying to, you know, get Rick and Doug to start a project with him. Ah. Very kind of sticky situation. No yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, you know, uh, it's, it's just a funny story now. Um, to add to it, uh, the guitar player that we ended up getting, who is, who is who I really wanted in the first place, but he had declined originally, is Ron Jarzombek, who was right down the road in San Antonio and played in San Antonio Slayer. Um, if you're up on your Texas metal history, mm -hmm. uh, there was a San Antonio yeah. Slayer just before. Right. Anyway, so uh, we, we were already friends with him, and he was this kind of Steve Vai guy, you know, and we knew he could play all that crazy shit. But he had declined. Anyway, years and years later, Ron Jarzombek was Marty Friedman's touring second guitarist. <laughs> and they actually, Ron told me later on, they had a conversation and a very good laugh about that story I just told you. <laughs> so, so 
in lieu of the story I just told, I lied. Did you realize I never found Marty? He's like Waldo. I couldn't find him. Yeah. Yeah, I never met him. So you're right. I still have. Oh, that's met right. Marty. Because I yeah. Because yeah. you you started the story saying that you. I, I've, yeah, I've been in the same room with right. him. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I'm just glad that there are now two things that connect you, two more things that connect you to each other, <laughs> even though you've never met, which is Howling Sycamore and the Black Coffee Brigade. Yes. So, I'm, I'm proud. By the way, I'm extremely excited uh, about that. Um, <clears throat> let's not let it be the whole reason that I wanted to be on your show again. <laughs> it's just so I could get the patch. I'm sure you recall the last time you told me about the patch, I was like jumping up and down like a little person trying to, you know, beg mommy for ice cream. It's like, <laughs> I want a patch. I want a patch. I got to get a patch. So I'm finally going to get the coveted black coffee brigade patch yes thank you i think marty was the last inductee and that was like maybe two years ago i don't think there's been anyone since uh who's who's come on the podcast for a third time lots of lots of returns but no triple no no triple uh, appearance so yeah that's yeah there's there's a there's it's the numbers are growing now so that's great uh yeah so that's great. Yeah, um, I actually played with Marty this uh, this year in January. Um, I oh, cool. yeah, I sang on his album Inferno a few albums back, and so we were both at Nam, and you know we can't be at Nam together, and he has a gig without me jumping on stage. So that's what happened, and uh, it's amazing. I mean, he's amazing, and and. Yeah, he's he's really fluid. No oh. one plays like that. Yeah, and I can say that he is a super nice dude. So whenever that ever happens, um, rest assured, I, I I think it'll be it'll be good. Awesome. Yeah, I'm not worried about that. There's there was never any hard feelings. I think it funny now. It just seemed weird at the time, but <laughs> you know, I understand why it would have been weird if I would have cornered him and found him. And then Rick and Doug tell me, yeah, he was over here trying to hire us. <laughs> so I, I understand. Plus we were all young. I mean, we were, right. you know, God, we were 20 years old or something. Yeah, yeah. So hard to handle, you know, I'm sure he chuckled when he, when he uh, got the howling sycamore album and saw your name too. Or, oh or, my God! Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, Howling Sycamore, but then there's the An Evil United album. We have to talk about yes. that. So there's two bands aside from the Broken Teeth, which is how we were connected originally. Because and yeah. I, you know our band and your band, Broken Teeth, um, we've we've shared stages together and even tracks on tracks and stuff and video where I've, where I'm in a broken teeth video, um, which is awesome. Um, besides that, like that rock part of you, there's a super serious metal side of you with igniter and evil United. And I'm, I, I really, really love igniter and evil United. I think again, they're great. Uh, showcases for your vocals and your vocal range, but it's just like, it's like solid metal. And yeah. because I'm such a fan of your voice, 
you know, it peaks ahead of the rest of the pack for me. So this new album, Serpent, came out this year. And, you know, since you've you've never met the guys in Howling Sycamore, how are you keeping up with all your projects going all at once? And and where where does you Igniter and, and Broken Teeth stand? Yeah, everybody thinks that, and it's not their fault, because I have all this stacks of things going on all the time. A lot of people think that that's all I do, is sit around and write songs and be metal and... <laughs> You know, that's, that's like all all I'm doing all the time is I have a, a super glued a microphone into my hand. You know, yeah. Um, I wish I wish that was, you know, but I have a job and you know I have to eat and you know I have to sleep and you know, um, and and to to answer your question, um. It's and this makes me sad because I, you know, what I was just talking about. I really wish it was like that, where I'm just constantly rocking. But um, no, uh, I'm sad because since uh, Broken Teeth Four on the Floor came out a couple of years ago, um, we don't really have anything. Uh, we have no game at the moment. You know, there's no new. Uh, material uh, surfacing yet so we're starting to talk about writing sessions happening as soon as we uh, have a a breath you know a fresh air we um, I've been working on new dangerous toys material oh and yeah and it's going pretty well Um, we've got about seven or eight things and we started tracking actually uh, not long ago, it's just really taken a long time once again, because even though we're all in Texas, we're all spread out. None of us really live in the same town. Ah. Um, some of us have to drive hours to, for us to meet in a room. And, um, those songs were written sort of via email, phone calls, you know, things like that. Um, but luck, luckily, we're a, we are close enough to when we do get together to uh, rehearse, we can we can actually finalize the maps and things of new material. So that's a that's pleasant, and it's not everybody can say, you know, the people that they've been making music with, they've been making music with for thirty years or more. So you know each other, and you know who and how and what each person is going to play you can almost mimic their style so when dangerous toys writes material it has to be this certain way because you know that you know mike or mark or you know the rhythm section they're going to play it this this certain way and um i think it helps you sort of uh knit the velvet glove that is going to be comfortable for the band and you know what and ultimately the fans of of your music and so we're we're looking at it at that aspect because dude for years and years and years and i think i've mentioned this to you last time we spoke 
when I'm actually it was brand new idea that Dangerous Toys make a record is I didn't want to make new music with Dangerous Toys. And the reason for that is um, no one wants to hear it, it was my attitude. Everybody just wants to hear the couple of and I feel extremely lucky that we were that I'm even able to say this that we were like a one and a half or a two hit wonder. Mm-hmm. You know that class of '89 MTV babies kind of shit. Yeah, and um, but that's still a, a a joy for me to you know have fans like, dude, when that record came out, it changed my life and it helped me through a hard time and it was so fun and blah 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 and that's that's I that's gold, that's gold. That's always going to be worth something. Um, but it it jaded me quite a bit and I didn't really find any interest in making new material um, once I sort of had an attitude adjustment um, which was when I was on one of the Monsters of Rock cruises and all of these other bands had new records out and we're still playing you know songs from olden times um, it made me say you know well if we're going to be asked to come back again, we need a, we need some game because I want to be able to work. So the decision to like tear up my contract with Mr. Bad Attitude um, has shed new light on having a lot of fun with basically my family and Dangerous Toys, and it's been great. And. Uh, but, you know, it was sort of a business decision that I decided to do that. And now I don't care if anybody likes the songs or not, because I do. And that's ultimately where we all start as a songwriter is, am I going to have fun singing this? Oh, hell yeah. So we uh, you'll like this. We have a new song, Dangerous Toys, called Pretend It's Candy. All right. <laughs> have I told you about that? No. Yeah, pretend it's candy. Yank my doodle, it's a dandy. If you keep this up, I will come in handy. Oh. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's gold, man. Yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's silly, 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 silly cock rock shit. Yeah, it's silly gold. It's also got It's, it's got its got place. It has, too. Yeah, it's got its yeah, place. It does. it does. Well, you know, you you know, I know someone who writes, you know, below the belt buckle. <laughs> right, right. I know someone who writes lyrics like that already. I can appreciate um, you know, it when it's written that that with those smarts behind it. I can definitely yeah, appreciate well, it. Well, yeah, of course. And I think that, you know, Steven Tyler and I think that Billy Gibbons, you know, and David Lee Roth and... You know, they write stuff like that, but they they're trying to be clever. And I appreciate that mm-hmm. and instead of just coming out and saying it. So, yeah, anyway, now that's I... what's going on with that. And, uh, you know, Igniter, we're, we have a new record almost in the can. Oh, yeah. That, I, yeah. And, I'm a fan uh, of Igniter, man. Igniter. Igniter's last record also came out a couple years ago called Haunted by Rock and Roll. Mm hmm. And that's there. We're doing a reissue of that on vinyl, and that's coming out in a couple of months. But in the meantime, we have a new record in the can, and um, we don't have a label for it yet or anything. But that record is called The Golden Age of Black Magic. Oh, nice. 
I yeah. like that title. Yeah, that's the title track. We have another uh, song on that record that I'm I'm in favor of called um, Secrets of the Ram. It's trying to be metal, dude. You know, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's it's twisted as fuck. There's another song on that record called Countess Apollyon, which is like the mother of Countess Bathory. Right, okay. Made it up. <laughs> <laughs> Made it up. Well, surely Countess Bathory had a grandma or something right. who was way more evil than her, you know. So anyway, so lots of fun shit going on. The new Evil United Serpent. Yes. Um, I love the material. Um, the, the title track is my favorite, <clears throat> which is ultimately about the folly of man and, you know, Adam and Eve and all of that. Um, but it is it's dark and it's uh, the longest song on the record <clears throat> and it takes you up and down through the whole gives you the tour um i re-recorded the vocals for that record three times oh why 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 right why um during the sessions i guess you could say during the time that i was working on that material recording as well as the new Howling Sycamore, uh, my my uh, my mother was dying. Oh, okay. The last time we spoke, my father had died. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I have to jog my memory, but uh... it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So either either way, I feel like what was taking the brunt of my my uh, my life events as they call them, uh, was, uh, was the, I feel like the serpent record was cursed because I had to re-record the fucking vocals three times. There were my, remember when I told you I was switching machines, right? Yeah. And so it was happening with the howling sycamore just as much as it was how happening with the uh, Evil United record. And there was just, it was hell or high water for me to finish both of those records and also take care of my parents' estate. So, life happens. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I, I... in the way of your art. I I think that it can be an inspiration in some twisted way, um, but it was really it was really a, uh, causing me a lot of work. It seemed like work making music was work during that time, but at the same time it was also I was making myself do it. I was I was going to do it because I had accomplished something. Uh, emotionally cathartic that I needed to do in order to be a human being. And, uh, I did it. Mm. Fucking did it. And so, you know, no one really knows about all of that, you know, when you're a songwriter and then, you know, the, the world is not stopping for you to do that. 
So, yeah. Um, but here we are talking about this, and I'm extremely happy to be able to talk to you and share this this music that was uh, I could describe as a mountain that I was in charge of trying to move. Well, my condolences to you. Thank you. I think you you came out of it with a couple of kick-ass metal records, man. Yeah. Well, and this time will always be, uh, of course, a, a, yeah. an interesting and special time. Hmm. Um, you know, between last year and this year, um, where I feel like I... Um, I'm trying to feel like a butterfly, you know, Mm. well, reborn a little bit, you know? Yeah, right. I get it. And I get why now, you know, dangerous toys is almost up and running again. Makes sense. It's kind of, that's kind of weird, isn't it? I, I, I feel like I just sort of uncovered something by going through that with you in this podcast. That, that maybe that be a reason why my bad attitude got lifted is because why the why am I doing this when I could make a few people happy? Oh, and myself too. Well, you seem you seem to, you know, I mean, the amount of bands, the amount of great bands that you involve yourself in. I mean, that's really always the end result. Um, yeah. When when it comes to Evil United, I noticed that uh, this is on Dave Ellison's label. Yeah. Uh, and it made me think, were you considered on the mega cruise that just set sail like a month ago? Their Megadeth cruise? Nope. Is is your a relationship with Dave any any deeper than just him slapping his name on the the album or the, the label slapping its name? He's a he's a sweetheart of a guy. Tom Hazard, his partner, that you know, one of his executives for the label, who who is really my connection to the label uh, okay. at all. Oh, okay, okay. Um, they they, you know, he's he's like a he's kind of like a buddy. We're not real close, but we we used to talk all the time, and he's a big fan of everything that I do. He's got a fucking dangerous toys clown tattoo long as his arm down on his leg oh shit <laughs> yeah he's a fucking fan and um and i i'm in dave ellison's book okay More life of death yeah oh, okay i haven't read it yeah and um it's good and um you know they wanted me to you know dave and tom wanted me to tell my my megadeth stories because um you know i met them on their first couple of tours when they came through texas and uh, you know, interesting just to be able to look back and, you know, cause we were all kids, 18, 19, 20 years old kind of shit. And, um, he talks about in the book, Ellison talks about, uh, you know, that he remembers me, he remembers Watchtower. And then he also remembers just a few years later when, He's watching MTV and Dangerous Toys is blowing up on, you know, he'd go, that's that dude from Texas. You know, he's <laughs> seen me on his TV set kind of shit. 
And so it's kind of, there's a good sort of that six degrees of separation thing happening, unfolding again. And now I'm on his, uh, his label. Jason, this has been great, man. Again, it's always a great talk with you about you. I mean, I, I, I love everything you do. And I'm a huge fan of one, two, three, four, five of your bands, including huh. sick. So six, including sick. Yeah. Sick, sick. You know, Sick hasn't played a show since 2003, right? Just to make a dream, you know that. <laughs> okay, that's how that's how deep I go with Jason McMaster's bands. Yeah, um, I'm still holding I, on. I I uh I need to like make you the ultimate McMaster <laughs> box set. <laughs> I think I could, you know, I think I could curate the box set at this point. Um, I I um I know this sounds very uh, self indulgent and almost like <laughs> I masturbation. No, I love it. Ma- this is almost masturbatory here, but <laughs> I in my body of work, uh, not including tribute albums or live records by uh, any of my band bands or projects. Just talking original material, I have released. 21 full-length records Wow! since 1985. That's amazing. Or, or it's really dumb at the same time. I don't know. No, it's, a, it's not dumb. It's, it's, it's impressive. I'm impressed. Well, it's, been, it's been really fun. Uh, yeah. there's, like eight, there's like eight Broken Teeth records. There's like four or five Dangerous Toys records. So, you know, there's two Watchtower records that I'm on, two Howling Sycamore, three e- Evil United, five Igniter records. So that about sums it up. Amazing. It's been really a good time. And on that note, I, before, you know, we get into the end here and long goodbyes, thanks, thanks for talking to me today. Thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. I breathe in the fire of all my lost battles. I taste the blood, sweat, and broken will. I stare at all the days gone wrong. And I forgive.